Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Welcome to season four, episode two, and this is our first student chapel of the season, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Our student body president, Charles Robeson, preaches a message entitled, You Don't Even Know Who You Are. But before we get to figuring out who we are or aren't, I want to remind you about Mid-America Renewal Conference. Mark is coming up in just 10 days, September 6 and 7, 2018. We're just 10 days out from six preachers in three services in only two days. It's truly an event like no other. Evening services begin at 7 p.m., This is a little deviation from the standard 7.30 start time, but that's because we have two speakers each service. Thursday night, we'll worship with the Indiana Bible College Choir and preach with Brother Cornwell and Brother Lamonis. Then Friday day sessions with Brother Jason Staten and Brother Mark Brown. Friday night, we come back again at 7 p.m. with more worship from the Indiana Bible College Choir and then preaching with Brother Paul Mooney and Brother Ron Mullins. Today, we're going to preach with the student body president, Charles Robeson. You don't even know who you are. Put your hands together. Welcome your student body president. certainly an honor to be behind this pulpit in front of the greatest congregation I could ever think of, to be in front of my friends, my peers, those who have had such a big influence in my life. As we turn to 1 Peter 2.9, I'd just like to say thank you. Thank you to the excellent leadership, Brother Gallion, Brother Kilman, those who aren't, who aren't here in service with us today. It's just amazing how much they invest into our lives. And you know, if you, can, if you can get a hold of that early, if you can just get close to these men and women of God early, your lives will be truly changed. So thank you very much for all that you do for us. Thank you very much to the student council. You two have done an amazing job. They've worked so hard when nobody's been looking. They have done an incredible job at, at truly just being servant leaders. And I, I look up to both of you, so thank you very much. And then I'd also... Um, I just want to say thank you to the worship team. Cade, your team, you guys, you guys did amazing. You know, how many people know that you don't have to wait until an altar call to get a touch from God? How many people know that you don't have to wait until the grand finale sometimes we trap ourselves into before you can experience what God has for us today? And that's, and that's our goal. That should be our goal every time we come together because we just want to experience something from God. We're going to go ahead and go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and then uh, we'll go to Exodus chapter 19, if we could remain standing for the word. 1 Peter 2, 9, very familiar, but very encouraging, hopefully. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God tells it to Moses like this. This is the first time he went up on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Very similar passage. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Before you sit down, I'd like to just do a quick survey. Um, Could we have those who have been, who have repented, been baptized in the name of Jesus and and filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking of tongues remain standing? Uh, if, If that's not you, that's okay, because today is a perfect opportunity to be able to experience the first step to the rest of your life. It's the next journey that'll build upon your previous faith, and it's going to make the difference. But for those of you who are still standing, it seems as if it's the vast majority, I want to congratulate you because you have taken what Exodus 19.5 has said as the qualification for being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a chosen generation. It says, you know, to fulfill the commandments, to keep the covenant. 
And this is the fulfillment of the covenant. And so I want to congratulate you. But with this being the understanding and the assumption, I'd like to go ahead and, if I may, just speak to the mature audience with the assumption that we are here today being led of the Holy Ghost, trying to do our best for God, not staying in in constant disobedience and sin. But with this understanding, I want to make sure that, you know, this message, this message is for everyone, but I want to make sure that people understand this is not a condoning of sinful lifestyles or anything like that. But I want to just make sure that everybody's understands. So we'll be talking to the ministry-minded people before me today. You may be seated. Out of those verses, it always has seemed that in 1 Peter 2.9 and Exodus 19.6, that the, the phrase royal priesthood, or, or maybe we can say uh, the kingdom of priests, that's, that's really stuck with me, and that's, that's been a thought in my mind for such a very long time. And so if I can, I'd like to focus on that just for today, um, especially because over summer, and I'm sorry, is there any way, I, I forgot, can I get a water bottle? Thank you. I'm already drying up, and so that's, that's my fault for not bringing it. Thank you, Thad. Um, so I'd like to share with you a little vision that I had over the summer. Um, it was, some people may know, Brother Galleon has mentioned it. I've been to Latvia twice. I spent um, 10 or 11 weeks there between my sophomore and junior year, and I spent about nine weeks there this past summer between my junior and senior year. And they have been incredibly transformative in two very different manners. They, if, you, if you were to ask me last year um, what, what the summer was like, I would, I would usually give an answer like, well, you know, it was good for me, but it wasn't the easiest. It wasn't the best. Last summer, I had a lot of introspection. I had to deal with a lot of, a lot of uh, manning up, as you could say. I had to deal a lot with, with who I was. And so it was a very trying time. It was one of the hardest parts of my life in in the sense that God was showing me flaws. God was showing me weaknesses. God was showing me where I was going to be stopped in ministry if I couldn't get over it. And that hurts. That hurts a lot. Whenever you have to get to that point, sometimes it can be an an ugly encounter with God. You know, a lot of of tears, a lot of hurt, digging up things that you really would rather left covered by an emotional Band-Aid. There's a lot of hurt that goes into it. But this summer, if you were to ask me how my summer went, it was completely different because God was able to build on the principles that he had shown me the previous summer. And he was finally able to get me to the place where I was not able to just focus on myself anymore. I was finally able to to begin to to help others, to focus on others. And, And ultimately, that's the place where he wants all of us to go. That's the place he wants all of us to be, is if we can step outside of the dimension of ourselves, then we're able to step out and be ministers for other people. Whether it's it's ministers within the congregation, and just like Brother Kate Abbott, you're able to minister to those who are right in front of you, or whether it's ministering to people who, who have never experienced this gospel message. You see, both of these, I was challenged, and I grew very much during these times. Um... But what a lot of people might not realize about me, especially um, from the, the kind words that Brother Gallion had given me, um, especially from my freshman year, a lot of people might not realize just how much insecurity I'd had. A lot of people might not realize just how deep the wounds went, you know, holding on to past offenses or, or whether it was, you know, uh, not, just, just not believing in myself, not able to get over things. And I was dealing with that so badly. I, I, I couldn't, even, couldn't even stand to listen to my own voice or, or look myself in the mirror. And you see, God had to deal with that. God had to begin to, to show me these things and to, to move in my life so that I could get over these things because then I'll be able to work for his kingdom. You see, it was a difficult process. And I know that there were other people who, who were going through the same thing. And so let me just begin to explain about the vision. I, I was doing better last year, but I was still, you know, it still wasn't, still wasn't quite in this mindset of confidence. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And so I was, I was struggling a bit with the feeling of inadequacy at the beginning of the summer. And our, our goal was to go out and to, you know, we're going to have classes on Tuesday. And we'd go out in the streets from Wednesday to Saturday. And we would just begin to minister with people. We'd begin to talk to them, begin to pray with them. Begin, and we, we saw people who wanted to get baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost right there on the streets. 
We saw people who, who received their miracles of healing right there on the streets, in the parks. And it was amazing. But I was dealing with this sense of inadequacy because I was envisioning, trying to envision what God had in store for my life. You know, those, those callings that he has on us. The, the place that, that maybe, maybe in a time of prayer and worship, you know, you feel a burden for something. Or, or maybe in a time of an altar when an authority figure comes up and says, you know, God's got something special for you trying to grasp that, trying to fit that into my life, and I'm just like, God, I can't do it. I'm not good enough, and you know that. But God began to help me with something. He began to show me something. All of a sudden, uh, missionary Mark Schutz was talking about, about the love of God, and he was, and he was mentioning you know, a little bit about, about being kings before him. But see, I, it was suddenly as if I was, I was worshiping, and it's almost as if my perspective shifted because it wasn't as I was looking up. It's as if I was looking down on myself from about three feet above me. And all of a sudden, I, I could feel uh, this, sense of, this sense of just almost as if it was a physical growth. Uh, uh, just a sense of empowerment came over me that I recognized as a feeling I've, I've felt in some of these altars. It was the rush of the Holy Ghost. And it was almost as if I just began to grow a little bit in stature. And is final, and I, 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 had a, I had a nice robe around me, and I had a nice crown placed upon me, and then all of a sudden I felt as if I had a mighty sword in my hand, and it was as if I was seeing myself from God's eyes for the first time as a king before him, a king in the spirit. But then it changed a little bit. I began to kneel down, and I wasn't actually kneeling, but it was as if I was seeing myself kneel down and my garments changed to all white. And then I still had the sword, though. I was a little bit confused. This was the priest. And God was trying to show me. He was trying, because the verse immediately came back to my mind. Royal priesthood. God was trying to show me who I could be if I could just get out of myself. If I could just get over who I am. If I could just step outside of the limitations of the flesh if I could just stop seeing myself through my failures and my weaknesses and my insecurities, if I could start seeing myself with God's eyes, he was trying to reveal to me who I could be. And I know I wasn't the only one in that very room because later as we were, as, well, actually, I do want to share this thought. Brother Shute said it. He says, you may be a king before God, but there is no royalty about you as you reach out to the world. To all you are a servant. And so he'd said that, and I'd remembered it in that moment, and it reminded me, yes, I am a king. I can be a priest in Christ, but whenever it comes to people, there's no, there's no royal bloodline with me. I don't walk around as if I'm something special. I walk around. Both of them are positions of servants, and we'll go into that a little bit later today. But it was that same day that... During, during the, the time where, where we were really, we were, it, it would be kind of an altar call if it were a service, but it was a classroom-style lecture in a living room of Brother Shoots, and so we were all just kind of standing in a circle praying, and he was empowering us and encouraging us, and he turned to one of the timid girls in the room, and I asked her permission. Um, I know some of you may know her. She said, as a testimony, I can even use her name. Um, he turned to one of the timid girls in the room, and she, she was kind of bashful, she, she was kind of an outlier in the sense that she would, um, she would almost annex herself from the group. Uh, she, she tried to remain optimistic as we'd go out and, and evangelize, but she was just kind of, she was just kind of unsure, and she, she was very bashful. You know, she wouldn't say a lot. She wouldn't even incorporate herself in the group games whenever we'd all hang out. And he turns to her kind of, kind of suddenly and turns to her and says, and you, you don't even know who you are. And that's what I would like to talk to us about today. Because I believe that I'm talking to people. And I, I believe that I can confidently proclaim that some of you, you don't even know who you are. Some of you have yet to understand. But I want to come and encourage you that today can be a defining moment in your life. Today can be a moment of difference and a moment of change when all of a sudden you stop to realize, who, you stop to think of yourself in your own terms and you start to think of yourself in God's terms and you start to look towards the heaven for your identity. So, that's my title today. You don't even know who you are. 
but I know, just as it was for Ashley, she, she was able to overcome this. I was able, I'm continuing to overcome this. It's, it's, a constant, it's a constant battle. You'll always shift your eyes back towards yourself. But the more that you can cast your eyes on Jesus, the more he can use you. See, as we were faced with this identity crisis, I faced it, you know, the, the year before primarily, but again that summer. And then, and then as Ashley was facing this, this identity crisis, it was amazing to see the transformation and the growth that happened in her life. You know, in just three short weeks after that meeting, after that time of class where she was, she was taken aback, she was scared, she, she, didn't, she didn't understand. She's like, I'm 26, I've got a career, I've got my college. She's like, I thought for sure I knew who I was. Seems pretty, seems pretty familiar, right? We can, we can list our pedigree and our resume, and we can almost try to identify ourselves like that. But all of a sudden, God's saying, you don't even know who you are. If you can get your eyes back in the book, I'm not looking for your resume. I'm just looking for somebody who's willing. But you've got to begin to see yourself as a willing vessel before you can even begin to be used by God. <laughs> Ashley went through this time, and it was difficult to watch for a couple days. But three weeks later, she was preaching in a, in another, uh, in a church service. It was, it was kind of a special service, so several of the students had five-minute slots. And she, she gets up there, so full of life, just like, just like smiling really big and like full of energy and like everything's exciting. And she goes, I'm here today to bring you a message. I am complete in Christ. And we're, and we're kind of like taken aback. We're like, who is this girl that was not the same girl three weeks ago? She'd gone through an identity crisis. She'd gone through a time of her and God trying to figure out who she was. And God made it real, really evident to her pretty quickly who she was. You see, we're going to use that as another one of our verses of reference as we continue to go throughout. If we can pull up Colossians 2 verse 10. It's a very simple verse. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. As I began to wonder that moment last summer, who am I? What is my identity? You know, what, 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 do I, what do I have going for me if, if not what I thought in my resume? You know, who, who am I truly? Ashley began to preach, I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. So let us be the anthem. As, let that be an anthem that carries us through every situation. Let that, be, let that be the song that rings in our head as we continue to face things. Because we can begin to realize it's not about us. We can begin to realize it's not about who we think we are. It's not about our limitations. It's not about our weaknesses. We'll begin to realize that as we begin to face everything in life, whether it's internal or external, we can say, I am complete in Christ. This is the first step of trying to figure out who we are. You see, I have failed, but I'm complete in Christ. I have weaknesses, but I'm complete in Christ. You see, I've had shortcomings I have a hard time getting over, but I'm complete in Christ. The, tri the time is stressful. The trials are large, but I'm complete in Christ. Now, let's flip this a bit. I have lots of talent, but I'm complete in Christ. I have, I have intellectual ability, but I am complete in Christ. You see, I have all these things going for me. I have a ministry, but I'm complete in Christ. It's a two-headed coin that we have to realize that in our weakness, he's made strong. But even in our greatest strengths, he is still stronger. And so we have to get this mindset, I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. It doesn't matter how good you're doing on your own. It doesn't matter how bad you're doing on your own. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up this week. It doesn't matter how many times you've gotten straight A's, crossed your T's, and dotted your I's this week. I am complete in Christ. And that's going to hold us through every situation, through every trial, through every opportunity. That's our identity. You see, God, God can begin to use us in mighty ways as long as we begin to understand that all that I have, I'm complete in Christ. So let's talk about being complete in Christ as the royal priesthood a little bit. And we'll start with being kings. And I guess I should probably throw a disclaimer. I will be using uh, biblical language. It is not gender exclusive. Uh, we, this, is, this is symbolic, so we can all be kings and priests. So in modern culture, 
whenever people think of royalty, what do they think of usually? They usually think of, I, I would guess most people would probably think of, you know, Prince Harry and the royal wedding. A, a publicized fame that is going out for all the world to see. You know, just kind of just sitting there and everybody basks in their glory. You know, that's, that's their definition of royalty. And this isn't what royalty is in God's kingdom. I hate to break it to you. I hate to, I, I hate to burst your bubble if you think that because you've got the blood of Christ that you're able to, to walk around with a pompous attitude of, well, I'm, I'm royalty, so I'm holier than other people. That's not royalty in the kingdom of God. See, let's, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 and 1 Samuel 16, and we don't have to pull those up, but these are two instances. The very first thing that happened as kings, some of you may know what it was, it was the anointing. Saul was anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, and we can go on and on and show how the Lord's anointed, or the king was always the Lord's anointed. You see, spreading the anointing oil in the Old Testament was a sign of consecration. It was setting apart. And if we have the Holy Ghost, we can have the anointing with us so long as we remain consecrated. You see, God, God is not, correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Kilman, God is not stingy with his anointing. He wants the kingdom of God to prosper. But he is selective with his anointing for those who will go through the process of consecration. It's not just something to be abused or not just something to take advantage of. And we have to also, we have to also remember that Saul's promise and anointing was removed from him. And God repented that he'd ever even anointed Saul. So we have to recognize that when we are allowed the precious gift of the anointing, it's not our ability. But we also have to recognize that we can do nothing without the anointing. It's a consecration process. It's a process of setting ourselves apart. And whenever we do this, whenever we go through the labor-intensive steps, the, the process, the dealing with ourselves, of getting ourselves out of the way, God will provide his anointing so that the kingdom can flourish, so that you can be an effective minister into the kingdom of God. Now, again, does the, does the anointing give us the power to sit as, as a king on a throne and, and allow us to bask in our own goodness? Does the anointing allow us the right to have other people come and, and bask before our goodness? That's certainly, you know, he did glorify the Lord, but kings are called to be much more. You know, we, yes, our anointing that is upon our lives will glorify God, but if we allow it to just to be the mark of our goodness, the mark of our achievement, then we're twisting it so that it's really of no use anymore. It's manipulation for ourselves, and eventually it'll be removed, and we won't have it. But if we can allow God to have all the glory for the anointing that he gives upon us, you see, it's kind of factoring ourselves out of the equation. It's, it's really quite a simple principle when we think about it. He gives the anointing, he gets the glory. All we have to do is get out of the way, and we'll be able to see the kingdom of God come into this place today. You see, let's go, if we could pull up uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. I kind of I want to show us a little bit other a little bit else of what kings do. And it says it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. We'll be able to stop I'm sorry verse 1. When kings go forth to battle. So you see we see we see that kings responsibility includes going to battle to protect and advance the kingdom. So if you are ready and willing to accept your role as a king before Christ, then you're going to have to accept the fact that you're going to need to go into battle. You're going to need to be going out and fighting, not only for those who are with you right now, but you're going to be needing to fight for those who have you, who've you've never met before. A king is somebody who's going to be battling. And so it's laying their lives in a life of service. So why is this exciting? Why is this a way we need to view ourselves? Why do we want to add the responsibilities of fighting and possibly laying our life down that somebody else can prosper? I'm going to read a series of verses so you don't, you don't have to put them all up. I'm just going to go quickly. I'm going to read from Ephesians 6.13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. 
1 John 5, 4, But whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and that is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Colossians 2, 10 again, Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. John 16, 33, And ye, these things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Revelation 12:11 They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved their lives even unto death. You see we must see ourselves as kings by God's royal blood before we can approach the enemy because when we do we will have the victory. It's by Christ's blood, Christ's names that any time we go up against the opposition we're going to have the victory. Now it doesn't mean it's going to work out in the way that we want it to. It doesn't mean we know the answer or we know how it's going to pan out exactly. But what we will know confidently that if we walk by his name, walk by his spirit, and if we allow ourselves to be the king instead of being defeated, then we will walk in victory over the enemy. His word is full of his promise that he has overcame the world, that we can be overcomers of the world, that we can cast out the world, that we're set apart from the world, that the, the devil has no room to talk in our lives. So I don't care what the issue is that the devil's trying to say. I don't care what he's trying to whisper into your ear. I don't care what he's trying to tell you to identify as. What I'm trying to tell you is we are kings in Christ. We have the victory over the enemy today. We don't have to live defeated. We don't have to live beaten down. Sure, discouragements and trials will come, but we're going to be able to pick ourselves back up again because we are kings through Christ. We are victorious through Christ. We don't have to fear the battle. We don't have to fear fighting spiritual warfare. We don't have to fear any of the enemy's advances because we are victorious. But so many people allow the victory to be lost because they allow themselves to identify with the world or what the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, tries to tell them instead of trying to identify as Christ. You see, if you allow yourself to be trapped in your mind that you are defeated, you're defeated. You're going to lose that battle. You're going to stumble and fall. You're going to make the mistakes. You're going to be somebody who continues to lose over and over because you're not allowing yourself to walk in the ways of God. You're not allowing yourself to stand on the truth that God has given us. This is a roadmap for our lives, and this is also a book of promises. And if we can fulfill both of those, if we can walk according to the word, we will fulfill the promises of God. And one of those promises is victory over the enemy. Let's begin to identify ourselves as complete in Christ today. Who are you? You are a king, complete in Christ. So let's talk about the second portion of scripture we're using, the priesthood. In Leviticus 8, 2 through 4, that's where, that's where we find out the first thing that happens to the priest. Some of you might even be able to guess what this is. It was the anointing. Another common theme that whenever we identify ourselves with Christ, we don't need to beat the dead horse But whenever we identify ourselves as Christ, we need to consecrate ourselves and the anointing will fall and it is by his anointing will be effective. In the same fashion as we discussed the king's role, let's define the roles of the priest. If I can get Hebrews 5 and 5. And we'll read down to verse, through verse 7. So also Christ glorified not himself, but to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Side note, Melchizedek was the only other one to be a king and a priest before Jesus. So this is important. Because we are both kings and priests. Verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with a strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. You see, the Old Testament describes the duties of Aaron much the same. Numbers 18, 6 through 8, and a couple other places. See, they were in this order to service the tabernacle, keep the altar, and give the offerings. We can go to John 1.14 and talk about how God, was, or the word was dwelt in, in man, and that word is tabernacled. 
And so we can understand through that language that as we are filled with his spirit, we are the living tabernacle, or as, as, they, as he talks about in... Uh, uh, as he talks about in John 1.14, or we are the temple, as he talks about throughout the epistles. We are the house where God's glory dwells. We are, the, we are the place where the Holy Spirit fills. And so our first duty as priests is to maintain the tabernacle. We have to keep the tabernacle clean and pure. Because if we're not acting in the roles of priests, if we're not serving in the roles of priests... The anointing will never come down. The glory will never come down. God's presence will never be revealed because it's, it's all about whether or not he can use his body. If he is the head, he's going to have to use the body to begin to do his work. So we have to allow him a place. And we can't pray, God, use me, and then not try to maintain the temple. Furthermore, we can't get our priorities out of line because we can't try to give offerings and sacrifices until we first maintain the temple. Maintain the tabernacle. And so we, we also see that once we do that, we can begin to keep the altars. We can begin to make it big enough to put everything that we have on there. We can begin to give offerings. We can begin to pray and intercede. Just like in verse 7, uh, if you want to flip that back up again, we can. It says, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death. This is the sacrifice. This is the offering. This is, what, this is what Jesus did for us so that we could be saved. And though we may only be priests, he is the high priest. And he, as the high priest, is living inside of us. So he has given us the power and the authority to fulfill the role as priests, to be able to first maintain the tabernacle and then to begin to make, make intercession for those. See, that's what a priest is. It's an intercessor between man and God. Priests are the one who bridge the gap. Kings go before the enemy and, and they fight the battles. But priests go before men and they fight for souls. See, even if that soul is our very own, remember, we must maintain the tabernacle. But much like the king, we see that this is a role of a servant. So why should this excite us? Why should we view ourselves as priests when it seems to add just responsibilities for ourselves and for others. Why does this excite us as an identity for us? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went into the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and the errors of his people. See, but even though we're only priests, because we have the high priest, we can then go, as Hebrews 4, 16 says, boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. You see, what, the, what is the significance of being a priest, seeing yourself as a priest? It's because only the holy, only the righteous were able to go into the second tabernacle. And we all know that that's not in ourselves. We all know that we've messed up too many times. One is too many times for us to be in the presence of God. One is too many times for us to be the workers of God. But because I am complete in Christ, he covers me in his righteousness. He covers me in his blood. I don't have to view myself as a lowly dog anymore. I don't have to view myself as a scum of the earth anymore. I don't have to view myself as a sinner unredeemable by grace anymore. Because we are priests and we have the power of the high priest. And we can step boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace. We don't have to live in shame anymore. We don't have to live with insecurity of our past faults anymore. Because we have a high priest in us. If we begin to stop seeing ourselves as fallen man, knowing we are fallen but complete in him, and see ourselves from his perspective. See, we're trying to do the work of God. He's, he's saying, I want to use you, but we're saying, okay, I'll go this far, but you know what I did 10 years ago, and I can't, I can't go any further. But he's saying, I forgave you. Did I not pour out my blood upon you? Did I not give you my love that I shed on Calvary for your very sake so that you could be absolutely washed away? You see, so often... So often we allow ourselves to preach and to sing to sinners. 
But we trap ourselves in self-loathe and condemnation. See, this isn't a place of arrogance. Again, I want to clarify that this kingly position, this priestly position is not a place of arrogance in ourselves. This isn't to say that everything I do is acceptable, but it's to say that I am complete in Christ. And only, since only the holy man and the righteous man can enter the presence of God, we as spirit-filled believers should be confident enough to not walk with our head bowed, but with our head looking up towards the heaven and saying, God, thank you for redemption. I will walk in your way. Being complete in Christ is a lot easier than some of you give yourselves credit for because it takes a willing, consecrated servant. God has done the rest of the work. God has taken your sin away. God has taken, God has given you the salvationary plan so that you could then say, I'm complete in Christ. God will continue to work out. That's what walking by the Spirit does. God will work out the bugs. God will show you. God will continue to reveal to you things that hold you back but it's a constant walking and it's a constant dependence on him. You see, God has granted us power and righteousness according to our consecration. And we have got, and we, but we have to get one little contingency cleared out of the way. None of this can, can happen if we don't accept the love of God. And this, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is where it was a hard thing for me to understand. Because this sounds like such an elementary concept, right? You know, I thought that when I, I, I thought that through the experience, I'm able to, or, or through walking through a room full of people and becoming kings and priests, that that, that, would, that would help me to receive the love of God. And I know I'm talking to an ambitious crowd who's, who's getting excited about the power and the righteousness that we find in God. But I also know that I'm talking to some people who whenever it comes down to it, they don't really let God love them. You see, God is a gentleman. Brother Kilman says it all the time. And it's not just that he won't come in and, and fill you with his spirit unless you open up the door. It's that God will, won't be able to fix the rest of our lives if we don't open up the door. It's not enough just to be baptized and to be filled with his Holy Ghost because then we've got to start, then we've got to allow the Holy Ghost to lead us as we're com- being complete in Christ to deal with that. And so many people are bound because they can't accept the love of God. I was told this summer by Brother Schutz that it seems as if every minister battles three major battles. For, for, for the rest of their time in ministry, whether it's an early state or whether it's continual, they will always face pride, they will always, pre, they will always face shame, and they will always face fear. And I heard, he began to explain to me, he says, you know, the best way to deal with pride is to begin to be dependent on God's power because he does things we can't do. And so he'll begin to make you less and less dependent on your own ability. And then he said the best way to deal with righteousness, or I'm sorry, shame, is to recognize yourself as righteous. And that's, that's what we've done as kings and priests. We've begun to depend on the power of God being complete in Christ. We begin to depend on the righteousness of God being priest in Christ. And then he said the best way to deal with fear is by accepting the love of God. He said, love, you know, love cast out all fear because fear bringeth torment. And so truly by accepting God's love, you won't have to worry about any other thing. But as I began to think about this for my own self, I began to realize that the root of all of my three issues was that last one. The root of all of it was the fact that I couldn't accept the love of God. You see, whenever we're defeated... Whenever we're, whenever we're tired, whenever we're, we're critical of ourselves, whenever we're comparing ourselves one to another, whenever we're doubting, whenever we're anxious, these are all side effects of pride, shame, and fear. And a lot of us, it starts with accepting the love of God. So think about this for a moment. We're trying to reach people. We're trying to tell them how great God's love is. We're trying to show them how important He is. We're trying to show Him He's the answer to our needs. And then so often we come to an altar and we say, God, God, I'm sorry. God, I've, you know how, how much I'm struggling with this. God, you know how much I am, I, I've, I've struggled with this in the past and I'm not minimizing anybody's struggle. I'm just saying sometimes, sometimes we stop short of the message we preach to other people. Sometimes we feel we messed up too big. 
Sometimes we feel that we've got too many doubts. Sometimes we feel that we've had too many hurts or we're holding on to hurts that people gave to us and we didn't deserve it. Or sometimes we know we hurt other people and we're not comfortable with it, but we can't fix it. Sometimes there are, there are these thoughts going in our head. We're, con- we're, we're condemned by the enemy and he's trying to tell us you'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to reach that place. Or worse, some people fear that confidence is pride. And this was a big issue for me because I couldn't walk in the confidence of Christ because I thought I was being prideful. But what I realized was that every time I tried to walk in that confidence before, I was walking in my own confidence. I'm not worthy of the glory. I'm not worthy of the honor. I don't have the power. I don't have the righteousness. And none of you do either. But I'm telling you today that we are in the presence of the one who can complete every single person here. And I don't care what you're struggling with. You don't have to walk around in pseudo-humility trying to, trying to prevent yourself from being prideful. Humility is obedience. And obedience today is walking complete in Christ. I feel like I'm starting to push some buttons. And sometimes, sometimes this can be a a hard concept to grasp. But you see, God is love. We know this. Twice in 1 John 4, God is love. And so if we're not able to accept the love of God into our life, then we aren't really fully accepting God. And we're we're doing our best. I'm I'm not cutting anybody down. I'm not saying you're zeros. I'm just saying we're not fully living in the capacity God has for us. Because we say the message is just for them. So what does this look like? What what does this look like? See, I know there are people in this room who are fighting the enemy. You're addicted to something, whether it's substance or, or a bad attitude or a relationship. You're fighting the enemy in circumstance. But come on, King. God's love has made a way for you to be victorious today. And I know there are people today who, who can't get over the past, and the devil's trying to tell you you're not good enough, and you'll never reach that point of ministry. You'll never step into the promise. But come on, priest. I'm telling you today that God's love has made a way for you to walk without the shame of this world. And I know there are some of us today who are, who are doubting. We're seeing, we're seeing ministers in, who are, who are big-name ministers, and, and we're comparing ourselves, and we're saying, you know what, I can never have this ministry. I can never sing like them. I, or you're critical. Anytime somebody does well, you're judging them for it. You're trying to find a way to tear them down, to gossip, to tear down your authority. It's because you're jealous inside. Well, come on, child of God. I'm trying to tell you today that his love has made a way that your fear doesn't have to be a stumbling block anymore. I'm trying to tell you today that whatever your need is in this house, whatever whatever trial you're facing today, it could be something on the outside coming in and you need hope, just like Brother Kate Abbott. Well, I'm telling you today that God's love is peace. God's love is an answer for you today. I'm trying to tell you that whatever you can't get out of your mind, if you're facing issues from years and years ago, I'm trying to tell you that we've all made mistakes, but God's love is going to make you overcome those mistakes. His righteousness, his victory, his love. We are complete in Christ. And I'm coming to a close. Musicians, if you'd like to come, what I'd like to begin, if I, if I can just get this in you today, I know it sounds elementary. I know that it sounds basic. But see, if we can even just begin to accept the love of God, we're not even going to have to worry about the backsliding issue anymore. Because all of a sudden, I, I, I was talking to some of the seniors who graduated, and they began to express how very real the, 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 the stagnancy is, the temptation for stagnancy. All of a sudden, when we begin to get this love of God inside of us, and it begins to pour out in such a mighty way that we can't help ourselves, we're not going to have that place of stagnancy anymore. We're not going to have that place of unfulfillment anymore because we'll always be wanting to share this with people. And, and First John says we're not going to have a love for the world anymore because we have the love of God inside of us. And so if we can allow ourselves to get over our petty problems, if we can allow ourselves to get over the issues of our past, we need, my, my goal for this service is that a, such a love of God begins to sweep over this place that covers every insecurity, every doubt of yourself, every fear of the unknown or fear of the future, fear of whatever God's called you to be. I want God to begin to challenge us on a deep level. Tear down your walls. Tear down the, 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 the facades that you try to put up. Be real with God for just a moment. Please, please. 
If you can allow yourself to just, to just stop trying to act like you're pushing, like you've got it all together, and, and if you can just rip off the band-aid that you tried to heal your own wounds with, God's love can pour out to you and reveal himself to you like you've never seen before. And we can have such a sweet, sweet presence of his love that he will begin to restore people in this place. Hopefully, at the end of today, you can begin to take yourself seriously as a minister because we're all ministers in some shape and form. We need to stop cowering. We need to stop hiding behind inadequacies. If we can get over the fact that we haven't done anything to begin with, that we are accepting Christ's love that he gave for us on a cross, it was his blood that poured down. You see, we have to realize this before we can see who God has called us to be. I'm looking at ministers today. I'm looking at prayer warriors today. I'm looking at soul winners today. Worship leaders who can free the atmosphere. I'm I'm looking at pastors and preachers who are going to stand for truth and tell people that the answer hasn't changed. I'm looking at people who are going to go and plant churches where there's no church or where there's not enough churches. I'm looking at people who are going to be a missionary to countries that need this gospel. But I know what it's like to be in your shoes. And I know that there's a level inside of all of us, that, that there's a button inside of all of us that's been pushed and that said, that said, I don't know if I can accept this. It starts with something just as simple, and I'm serious about this. Something just as simple as looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. It sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? When Brother Shoots told me to do that, I tried it last summer. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get the words out. I couldn't tell myself in the eyes, I love you. And I'm proud of who God's called you to be. And I'm proud of the man that God has brought you to be. And I'm proud of the transformation. That's not arrogance. That's Because that's not you. You didn't do that. That's confident in the vessel that God has chosen to be a part of his kingdom. So look, lift your eyes for just a moment and look at yourself as kings and priests and children of God. Just begin to tear down the walls that you hide behind. It's okay to get a little vulnerable with God. And it's okay. This Nobody's going to judge you for this. Nobody's going to cast stones at you for this. We are a family. And part of a family is encouraging our brothers and sisters. And if there's anybody today who says, I need a fresh love of God to sweep over this place. I need you to pour out your spirit to begin to help me, to heal me. We need us to see ourselves as God sees us because we're not nearly as bad as we think we are. We need to receive his love today.
Mid-America Renewal Conference is happening September 6th and 7th, 2018. That's the first Thursday and Friday of September this year. And this conference is going to be absolutely incredible. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring your entire team out, music ministers, youth pastors, assistants, uh, department leaders, volunteers, saints, everybody come out September 6th and 7th to Mark. It's going to feature the music and uh, join in worship with Indiana Bible College Choir, Chorale, and Praise. And then the speaker lineup is just phenomenal this year. We have Brother Cornwell from Kansas kicking us off on Thursday evening. Brother Lamonis following that the same evening. And then Friday morning, we're going to have uh, Brother Jason Staten from Maryland, Brother Mark Brown from South Dakota. And then we will come back on Friday evening and hear from our president, uh, Brother Paul Mooney. Following him Friday night will be Brother Mullins from California. So you can see that the speakers, the worship, it's it's just going to be an incredible event. You're not going to want to miss this event. September 6th and 7th, circle it on your paper calendar, add an event on your digital calendar, whatever you have to do to remind yourself to get here. September 6th and 7th, we look forward to seeing you at Mark this year.